I'm Amanda. I'm Denise. And I'm Spencer Cordell. And this is Disturbing Behaviors. And today we're talking about the psychology and laws in relations to Ariel Castro. So we have heard about his childhood. We've heard about his crimes. Now we're going to get into the, you know, psychology and laws that kind of went along with that. Yeah, he, here's an interesting thing. And I'm going to ask you about this, Spencer. When it comes to domestic violence, he beat the crap out of his, his wife. At one point in time, like breaking bones. This is all prior to 1993. This is between the late 80s and early 90s. I at think he point, attempted to have her miscarry their daughter yes, at one yes, point. Yes, that was the, she was on her fifth pregnancy and he decided he didn't want to have any more kids and he like threw her ass down the stairs. Now, there was broken bones. Maybe, I, I don't fucking know, but aren't there laws in place that if, even if the victim does not wish to pursue charges that charges are still filed in domestic violence like i thought there was like something called a stitch law where if there were so many stitches that were done like charges had to be filed well there's no at least and and i'm speaking as a as a florida attorney here there's mm -hmm. no specific law that says charges have to be brought it's really an individual decision for any of the prosecutors and even when a victim is non-cooperative, when there are serious injuries, when there's a history of violence, or there's a lot of factors that can cause a prosecutor to want to file charges and want to prosecute, even when the victim is uncooperative, which happens a lot of times in domestic violence cases. So oh, often yeah. it's, it's couples and, and one forgives the other. It's, it's usually violence of the guy on the girl, but it does go both ways. And, and so often you get victims who are, you know, nowadays it's probably, there are more resources. It used to be, and the concern there was that the, the victims don't participate because they're scared of the perpetrator, the criminal, because of the history of violence there. So the system has built in protections to try to remove that fear for the victim. They put on no contact orders. They put on stay away orders. Uh, we have more resources, more shelters and things like that. So the, the woman's not stuck in this cycle. But even with that, you get a lot of victims, even ones who have been beaten badly, that want to forgive the their spouse. They want to forgive the person who's abused them. And then they don't want to prosecute. And, and it's a it's a challenge for the prosecutor. Yeah, it's. I know that it's just, there's a lot of psychology that goes behind domestic violence. There's a lot of that, like what you said there, the fear. There's also like financial implications and, and things like that that go into domestic violence. It just, I don't know, it, it, it amazes me that it has to, that there's no way that the courts just kind of go, you know what, you can't treat other people like that. And I realize that we've talked about this before. You cannot legislate morality. And that's very true. You know, you're either a good person or you're not. But 
I just wonder about something like that because I was reading about that his violence towards his ex-wife and uh, we were actually Amanda and I were talking right before you popped on just how that bleeds into the other family members because his daughter Emily in 2007 was sentenced to 25 years after cutting her 11 month old daughter's throat now the the daughter survived yeah I know so but you wonder about the effects of law of domestic violence and you wonder about you know if somebody had interceded at that point in time like if he had gone to jail at that point in time could these other crimes have been avoided sorry we have birds coming into the yard the goon squad has taken quite a big offense to that we cannot have these birds in the yard anyhow getting back to what i was saying like you know to me, that was a very significant crime to throw somebody. I mean, she had multiple injuries. She had been to the emergency room multiple times. So we can take that accumulation of things. Like I almost, I mean, you can't prevent every crime. We know that. But I just think that if maybe if he had been kind of held accountable and, you know, locked up at that point in time, we might not have had the violence that that happened afterwards so i was just curious as to like where the courts are with that and where the laws are with that you know kind of going off of what spencer had said earlier and spencer please correct me if i'm wrong but from what i recall from working at the state attorney's office the prosecution does have the ability to go forward on a case without the victim's consent however it makes it much more difficult to prove. If you don't have a complaining witness and the victim refuses to cooperate, it's much more difficult to prove your case. Am I wrong? That's exactly right. And different states are different here. So in Florida, where I practice, the state makes the final decision whether or not they're going to go forward. And they can do that by... By Florida's constitution, they have to take into account the victim, the victim's wishes. So if the victim wants, you know, the maximum penalty, they're not bound to offer the maximum penalty, but they are supposed to take that into account. The victim has a right in Florida to come in and, and address the court. But conversely, the victim has a right to say, I don't want him prosecuted. But while the prosecutor has to take that into account by law, they get the final say. So when there's a case with with a long history or severe beatings, that's the kind of case where they're more likely to pick it up, as we were saying before. But Amanda, you're right, because you got a proof problem there. And proving that case can get very hairy with an uncooperative victim. You know, the the state can send out a subpoena ordering that person to appear. But if that person refuses to appear, then the state is put in a position of yeah. potentially prosecuting the victim. And so many domestic cases are he said, she said. Mm-hmm. So many domestic cases right. don't have many witnesses or have small children that aren't yeah. able to testify. You know, this isn't something that that usually occurs in front of a cop or in front of a video camera. Yeah. And so it's very hard to prosecute a case when the victim is the sole witness and they don't want to cooperate. So you subpoena them. You get to court, they don't show up. Do you issue a, a pickup order for your victim? You're going to lock up your victim? Yeah, the victim, yeah. 
for not doing that. And and as a prosecutor, you and, I, and I've been there. Yeah. As a prosecutor, you don't want to do that. The flip side is at some point you might want and, you know, if you know it's Ariel Castro, if you know it's going to be this guy who's going to kidnap and rape and do all these terrible crimes for so many years, you know, without a doubt, I'll do whatever I can to prosecute him. But yeah. if he, you know, it's one of those escalation situations. It starts with domestic violence and then grows into the the kidnapping and the the greater crimes that that he did later on, as we've seen with everybody we've talked about here. Right. Yeah. There's no way of saying, you know, somebody who has who is perpetrator of domestic violence is going to kind of spill out into the into the public because typically domestic violence is very, you know tight it's kept within like the the people you know the victim circle is very small right. you know like and it's usually the family and the and vast then, majority yeah. doesn't spill over there's a there you yeah. know domestic violence is a very common crime but i don't know what percentage of the people but it is very small uh you know graduate to to serious okay. crimes mm-hmm. from from serial kidnapping and rape yeah, yeah. right <laughs> not, not many go along that far most yeah. As you know, most uh, the really violent people do start with with smaller crimes, but most don't graduate. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, go. They, it, there's not always a correlation between it. It's and you know, typically with domestic violence, what happens is the abuser ends up killing the victim and not necessarily kidnapping and raping three random girls. Yeah, yeah. I know that. It, my best friend, she, her, at, while she was filing for divorce from her ex-husband, he broke into the house, choked her out, was actually trying to kill her. He did get arrested. She ended up having to drop the charges because she could not afford to raise the three children that they have, honestly, without his, without his child support. So I know I have kind of a skewed vision on things, but. You know, that it, it, it always pisses me off that there's kind of people who can get away with that shit, you know, like they, they there's a way, whether it's their connections or their how they put the victim in kind of a spot where they're the ones who get punished more by reporting. So, right. of course, it, it, now that her kids are older, I've offered to put a bullet in his head, but she keeps <laughs> telling me no, but. It's, it's a, that's another challenge of domestic violence and why the system tries and maybe doesn't do well enough that, you know, for first time offenders in particular, but my lower level offenders, that it, it, it's often more important to get them into counseling to, to break the cycle without trying to incarcerate them because you end up punishing the family. You end up harming the family. You end up harming the kids who lose a relationship with the parent. You lo- the, the financial support isn't there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's another balance that has to be struck. And, and unfortunately, that can help abusers who have the financial means mm-hmm. to get more consideration because of that. Right. And it leads to, to victims not wanting to prosecute because they know what that's going to mean as opposed to, you know, there's say, oh, well, you know, give them probation and counseling instead of a whole bunch of jail time. That's one avenue that can be taken. The other avenue is or the other concern is that the, the victim says, I don't, I don't even want to go that far. I, I don't want him prosecuted. Right. 
because now he's going to come after me because mm-hmm. oh, he's yeah, going to be most, even more angry. Yeah, the most yeah. dangerous time for for a victim is right when they've left and that, that order of protection has been mm-hmm. been placed. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that. And if, I don't know. Side if I can there. add, I'll give you the, my defense attorney bent on it, is that the, the flip side, you know, you can't, like you said, can't legislate morality it, it, it's a challenge for the prosecutor of deciding which cases to prosecute how far to prosecute depending on what the victim says the alternate is is sometimes the tables get turned and it's a technique of abusers and controllers to flip the script oh. and and blame the victim and often in the criminal justice system whoever talks to the cops first is the one who gets in their mind yeah. as the victim and the other person ends up going to jail. And I've seen a lot of cases where the guy steps out of the house and he might call the cops first. The the woman might call the, the cops first. They show up. The guy meets him in the driveway and says, oh, my gosh, she's going crazy in there. She attacked me. And they run inside and arrest her when she's been abused for years. Yep. Right. And yep. then they end up prosecuting the real victim of the case or, you know, the guy will attack her and she'll fight him off and he'll have a scratch and he'll say, look, I'm injured. Yep. And I say, guys, it goes both ways. It yep. really does go both right. ways. Oh yeah. Obviously generally men are stronger. And, and so the more serious cases are usually larger men on smaller women or yep. larger people on smaller people. It's, it is usually man on woman, but you know, in Florida, we do have a law that says if an officer is aware that domestic violence has taken place, if they are able to determine the primary aggressor, they are supposed to arrest somebody. So the function of that law is that cops are trained when there's an allegation of domestic violence, they have to arrest somebody. And so what if they can't determine who the actual aggressor was? In function, they pick. And they say, somebody's going to jail. And they'll even ask the couple (laughs) standing there, are you going to take this or am I taking your wife to jail? Are you taking this or am I taking your husband to jail? Or, as it often is, whoever's the first one to talk to them says, oh, the other person went crazy and attacked me and they already have their mind made up. And they don't even always take a statement from the other person. They just say, boom, you're going to jail. And we end up over-prosecuting some people that shouldn't even be prosecuted or other situations that shouldn't in the fear of letting the real abuser go free, which is something we also don't want. And it's really hard to strike a balance there. Right. And then on top of that, going back to when I said, you know, the, the state can subpoena a witness, they can subpoena a victim to come in. And that's still not a guarantee of proving their case because that victim might come in and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you say, oh, you remember telling the cops this? And they say, nope, yeah. I was drunk. Yeah, I don't know what happened. And it, that's very hard to prove a case beyond and to the reasonable doubt in front of a jury. Yeah. And I think it's a very tricky oh, yeah. area of law. Yeah. I, well, I think anytime you're dealing with people and in cases like that, especially with the relationships, it, it's very hard to say you know, what's going to happen next because people do exactly what you said is that though, Oh no, that's not what happened. Or there's a misunderstanding or yeah, I get that. And I, I know when you said that, you know, they'll blame 
the victim, Ariel Castro actually blamed the girls for getting kidnapped. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't blame himself. He doesn't say, oh, you know, I was a bad person. He's literally like, well, you guys shouldn't have gotten kidnapped. You know, <laughs> like. You guys shouldn't have gotten yeah. in the car of someone you didn't know very well. Yeah, I mean, like that blame the victim mentality. But yeah, that is, that that's, you're right with that. That is one of their. And his blaming the victim, Mm -hmm. obviously that wasn't a domestic situation, but he learned that in his domestic past, his victim blaming. And and those are the type of techniques that abusers and controllers use to to blame people, to deflect blame from themselves and stay out of trouble. And that, in his experience, avoiding prosecution. Mm Mm-hmm. He's still using that. You know, he's got girls that have been kidnapped for 10 years and he's blaming them. I mean, yeah, right. can you imagine the, the attempted logic of that thinking? I can't even. No. no there, well, there is no logic in that. <laughs> no. I, he also told one of the cops while he was in holding right after he had been arrested that it wasn't his fault because he was molested too. He's also a victim. He was sexually yeah. abused as a child even though there was no corroborating evidence that anyone ever found, but that's what he told the cop. I'd bet a dollar he was. And we've talked about so often the the people that are broken like this, the people that that commit these kind of crimes are are molded in trauma, are molded Mm -hmm. in abuse. So I would be surprised if if he didn't have that history. But that's no excuse, you know, legally... That's no excuse. There's no, no, and that, and even in the, in the worst case situations, it's a minor mitigating circumstance. That's right. the kind of thing where, you know, okay, so maybe we don't give him a thousand years of prison, you know, yeah. but he's still, you know, there, there's no way that they're like dropping charges because of, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, you know what? Uh, he, he can dream, you know, that was the, the, yeah. the whole thing. Like, well, you know what? Maybe. You know, these are not people who are using logic and reason. You know, they're using any type of narcissistic traits that they can, which is victim blaming and deflecting and refusal to take accountability and ownership. You see that in a lot of these people who are like, well, it's not my fault or uh, what I call abusive language. Look at what you made me do. You know, mm-hmm. why did you do, why did you make me do that? Why, you know, and it's the whole, yeah. you know. It's not my fault I did that. It's your fault I did that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, it's the whole concept of I'm not responsible for your emotions. I'm only responsible for mine. I can't control what anybody else does. The only thing I can control is my response to it. And as we all know, as the feral friend, my response is going to include violence in a swamp. But, you know, with with him, it it was all of this. You know, they did. I, I had my parents were abusive to me. So you beat the shit out of somebody else. Like I'm Gen X. I, I'm so shocked I survived childhood. You know, but I don't turn around and and probably others. should have survived childhood. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> not only am I surprised I survived childhood, I'm surprised that I have children who have survived childhood. You know, like, <laughs> and they're doing really well. I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> I got something to write. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he 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 definitely uses that narcissistic 
language of like, well, they shouldn't have gotten in the cars. It was their fault. They did this. It wasn't, you know, blaming the ex-wife. You know, if she hadn't have left me, it's like, well, you don't think beating the shit out of her and throwing her down the flight of stairs had anything to do with her leaving? Like, no, no correlation between those actions. So, yeah, he, he really did try to deflect blame. I mean, there's no nothing new. You know something where we have to be careful in the criminal justice system with that kind of victim blaming? It's not on the Ariel Castro's or the worst case scenarios. It's the less clear scenarios. It's the date rape on a college campus where, you know, a girl is wearing revealing clothing or goes home with a guy that doesn't give him an excuse to rape her. That right. doesn't excuse his crime that we, we can't fall into letting the, the predator blame the victim when they cross mm -hmm. the line, when they commit the crime. And that's where we have to watch out for that in the criminal just obviously Ariel Castro is oh, yeah. never getting out of prison or, or if he had killed himself, killed he would himself, never yeah. be getting out of prison. Right. But yeah. uh, you know, we can't, the flip side is we can't on the, the ambiguous case, you got to take each one case by case. It's not about, did the victim do something wrong? We yeah. still have to, to prosecute the crime. We still have to right the real wrong there. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Now, with Castro killing himself in, in jail, he was suicidal. Like, he had, if not... I know that it's a fine line with these narcissistic individuals where they will put on that facade of having suicidal idolation that, oh, you know, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself. But he, in his case, he did have a letter that was written prior to his capture, which was very indicative of, of suicide, of, of planning suicide, especially if he got caught. Now, with that in mind, I'm just trying to figure out how he was able to hang himself. Like, shouldn't well, he hung himself with the sheets in his bed? But mm -hmm. in regards to that letter, that letter was written nine years before his capture. Was it? Wow. Okay. Yes. It had so been he... sitting in a drawer for nine years in his kitchen. Wow. Wow. So I don't think that, and I'm not going to say it's not possible for someone to be suicidal for nine years. But it's, it's highly unlikely yeah. that he was in the same mental state of mind as he was at the time the letter was written. Okay. It surprises me that <laughs> he agreed to his sentence and took his plea. And then I think it was like a month later that he ended up killing himself. Like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> The reality is his case was as slam dunk as they come. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not like there's even one of those fighting chances of, of that. But it it surprises me. You know, it, I, I guess suicidal iteration has got its own kind of thing. It I'm, I, makes me think of the uh, the Aaron Hernandez case, the, the oh, uh, yeah. former football player mm -hmm. that... Mm -hmm. Was he was charged in two separate murder cases with multiple victims. He was convicted on one, went to trial on the other, won the other one. 
And his appeal was still pending on the first one. And at that point, he killed himself. He killed himself after winning a trial and while his appeal was still pending on the other case. And wh why does he do it then? Why doesn't he wait and see? Why does Ariel Castro take the plea and then do it? I mean, that's... Honestly, I think in Ariel Castro's case, you know, he, two of the girls that he took were minors at the time. Amanda Berry was a day before her 17th birthday. Gina DeJesus was 14. Criminals in jail do not like child predators. At so all. I think that maybe he hung himself in order to avoid a more violent and painful death at the hands of one of the other inmates. That's okay. possible, especially with his notoriety on top of the exactly. nature of his crimes. He, he may not have been facing it. Not that prison's fun for anybody, but he is at substantially higher risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's no vacation plans to for, for jail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but but you're you are correct that that the individuals who harm you know children are are considered you know I mean there's a the special to the low. Yeah, there's a special layer of hell in in jail for that, and you know correctional office officers will look the other way in that that case. I think that's. That's one of the things that we can agree upon in society is that, you know, if you hurt a child, bad shit should happen to you. Mm -hmm. And the jail is, just, you know, prison is just more open about it. So, yeah, I think that right. that is very, very possible that he was just like, oh, wow, um, I'm, I'm going to meet a very violent end. I mean, Dahmer, one of his victims was a, was a child, was mm -hmm. a minor. And, his last you know, one. look at, yeah, look, look. That did not end well in jail for, for Mr. Dahmer at all. No. So. Still, the, the, the vast majority don't end up being murdered in prison. We don't have, I mean, they're, it happens no. all too frequently, but, you know, it's not a, a necessary death sentence. No, and I'm not saying that that's definitely what happened. I'm saying that's a possibility, and that's possibly what was going through his mind at the time of his death. Oh yeah, I mean that. I I think there's a lot that goes into into suicide, and I don't think in his case that remorse was even part of it. Uh, I think if he, if he felt sorry about no. anything, he felt sorry about was, himself for getting caught. You know exactly. Probably. And I think. Should I forget what I was going to say? <laughs> I hate when that happens. You know. Even though the vast majority don't necessarily die in prison of, you know, child rapists or yeah. kid killers, what have you, his case in particular, the notoriety that he had, everybody knew who he was. Everybody oh, yeah. knew who his victims were. Yeah. I think he wasn't going to be more situated to Dahmer than, than your run-of-the-mill child molester. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, your run-of-the-mill child molesters can go into, you know, jail and not have anybody really know who they are, where Ariel Castro was on every news channel. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody knew what he had done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was... There he was, was no hiding and his it crimes wasn't, from... And, and like Spencer said, this was a slam-dunk case. There was not, it may be somebody else or... He was accused of doing this. I mean, they were found in his house. He right. built a dungeon in his basement 
for this purpose. There was no getting away with this. It was right. He was seen with Jocelyn outside, claiming that she was his girlfriend's daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was not going to get away with this at all. So yeah, I think that notoriety did did work against him in in that part. But I mean, it's it's crazy i mean so now with the 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 law here's a question here's a stupid question here's the type of shit that keeps me up at night spencer's gonna love this i can see the look on his face he's just (laughs) i was about to say there's no stupid questions but you've met me right you've met me (laughs) okay yes you've met me (laughs) keep an open mind i'm just saying All right. When we're talking about like felony kidnapping, and how is that different from like regular kidnapping? Do we? I'm just I'm looking at like the list of charges, and you know my my little neurodivergent ass is like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know what is the difference? I mean, does that when something goes from like a felony? I'm just like. I know with like grand theft larceny, it's there's a dollar amount. That's how you get from mm-hmm. like a misdemeanor to a felony. Is that if you steal a certain amount, once you go like a penny over, you go from a misdemeanor to a felony. What what goes from like a I, I hate to say this, but like a basic kidnapping to federal kidnapping, like or federal felony kidnapping. Felony. There was a well, train that saw it just derailed. And it's interesting that you brought up federal because the federal government can get involved in what's normally a state crime because if there's an asportation that could involve state lines, that's where it can obtain federal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Going back to the, the felony question, I think most kidnappings are felonies. In Florida, where I practice, all kidnappings are felonies. And kidnapping is a punishable by life felony in Florida. That means life in prison without the possibility of parole. And Florida does have a a lesser crime called false imprisonment. I was just going to ask about that. Yes, which is in, in Florida, that is also a felony. And the way Florida kind of divides it up is false imprisonment is not letting somebody go. Like you got them trapped in a house and and they can't immediately get out of there. It doesn't involve the kind of long-term holding that he was doing. And Florida's definition of kidnapping is really broad enough that, you know, holding somebody for an extended period of time is going to be a more serious kidnapping charge under Florida law. It's the false imprisonment's usually something you see if they, they tie somebody rage. bank robbery and then let yeah. them go. Or, or, or road rage incidents where someone just stops in front of your car and won't let you get around. Right. It, it's kind of the, the don't let them go for a little bit kind of thing. Although there's no, statutorily, there's no specific distinction. Frankly, the Florida charge is probably subsumed by the kidnapping charge. That, that is the false imprisonment charge. Now, Historically, at common law, this is you know the the laws that were passed down from England. 
that were not a, every, every state's written its own laws, but under the common law, kidnapping involved an asportation of somebody. That to qualify as kidnapping, you actually have to take a person from one place to another. I think probably every state has removed that asportation requirement from their right. kidnapping statutes. Florida certainly has. I, I, I don't know specifically about Ohio, but I think pretty much everybody has because they don't want to add on that other element. It still qualifies as kidnapping, even if you say lure them to the house on their own volition and then held them there for 10 years. That's kidnapping. We don't want to make it, you know, it doesn't have to be the, you know, medieval times where you hit a kid over the club and stick him in a bag and carry him <laughs> off for naval duty or something like that. Pull up in a van and go, come look at the puppies, which of course, you know, I was right. at that like, point in time. Yeah, <laughs> not necessary under, under our modern idea of kidnapping. So okay. pretty much every kidnapping is going to be, a felony, unless some states may have taken that type kind of false imprisonment, that kind of temporary preventing somebody from leaving kind of situation, and they may not have made it a felony, or at least not as serious a felony as kidnapping is. Okay, okay let me ask you. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, you ready? You ready for the next stupid question? What? That was a good one. We're going to get some, you know, common law, legal history and everything. This is fun. <laughs> Just so you know, this is, I'm trying to go to bed early so I can get up at like 3.30 in the morning so I can go to the gym like a crackhead. And I'm like, huh, my brain's like, I have this question. I'm like, seriously? Fucking wait till Sunday. Okay, you, before, you, before I take your question, man, my first felony trial, I sat second chair with a more senior attorney as a prosecutor, mm -hmm. and it was a, a robbery, false imprisonment. And wow. I'm like, why didn't we charge that as kidnapping? And I look up the elements, and it really could have qualified. I mean, they, they tied them up yeah. and robbed them. And, but under kidnapping, it really could have qualified. And I asked the, the lead prosecutor, why did you file it as false imprisonment and kidnapping? And he said, well, that was really the more appropriate one. Like, I theoretically could have. A jury might not have liked that. I got them on the rock. I'm trying to prove who did it because they were yeah. wearing masks. Mask, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, the, the, the secondary charge to the armed robbery is, is not my bigger concern. So, so that was always, that was something that my, you know, when I first got to felony, one of the legal issues that I, I had to deal with, and I'm sorry, I cut off your question, Amanda. I know you had something. Oh, that's all right. No, I was just wondering because, you know, we talked about how, there was no denying that he was at fault here, where there's no denying that he committed this crime. Yeah. So, of course, it didn't go to trial, but had it gone to trial, um, you know, even though he did confess, had it gone to trial, what kind of defense could he possibly have had? Well, it's not an ID defense. Uh, you know, they were in his house in the, the custom-built dungeon that he had made, and and as the victims were cooperative, there's no ID, there's no... <laughs> He's really reaching for a defense here. My speculation, if they had had to go to trial, was that it was voluntary, that the girls had agreed to stay with him and had agreed to live with him, and, and that would be chained up statutory rape because there's no consent to that. But and it's not a good defense because 
they were going to call all these girls <laughs> and uh, they were young women at that point. I mean, they, they were, yeah. you know, taken when they were girls, but they were yeah. adult women at this point. And, and each of them would have testified, no, I was not there of my own free will. I was locked up in a dungeon. But th that almost it would be what he would have to argue to try to claim something. And it's not a good, because you have a dungeon. They're not, they, they're there of their own free will. Why are there cages? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not but, like he could claim like any type of mental health thing because he carried on as a professional bass player mm -hmm. and a, he was a freaking school bus driver so he maintained employment while he was doing this so it's not even like he could be like oh the voice is in my head you know right <laughs> and the crimes show sophistication mm -hmm. uh, you know to, to set up this situation where he's got them living there and their children and mm -hmm. carrying that on for a decade you know you can't say insanity there because yeah, <laughs> there's cages. They yeah. Loudly. There's no. He yeah. couldn't tell right from wrong because it was right. done forcibly. There's no. Like I said, that, so I'm speculating here that trying to say, oh no, they wanted it, yeah. which <laughs> is is unfathomable. We're sitting here laughing at it because it's ridiculous. But what, what's your defense? Other than that, I don't know what his defense is. They they got it. Yeah, they, I mean, there there really was no defense, and I think that's why he took plea because honestly you parade out all this information in front of a jury and even a juror like myself who is very you know libertarian on no victim no crime there's multiple victims there's a crime your ass is going to jail you're going straight to jail do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars there's no there's not even a oh i thought that we were in this type of kinky ass relationship no, you know, they these are not women who answered a Tinder ad. You know, these are yeah. girls trying to Looking like get home sex, in the car. You know, so my lord, yeah, just, this may be the worst defendant ever. I mean, even in terms of just general proof issues, mm -hmm. it's easier to defend a murder charge because you don't have a victim testifying mm -hmm. in a kidnapping case. You have a victim testifying. In this case, three. And it mm -hmm. wasn't just a kidnapping for a weekend. It was for a decade with children and a dungeon. So you don't even have a good, yeah. you know, like they were there willfully argue. There's no, there's no consent argument when you build no. cages. It's, it, this is, and then you this is the, legally maybe the worst case of all time. <laughs> yeah, and then you have the DNA on the child that was born. That's that's really right, irrefutable right. at this point. The defense attorney's so. worst nightmare. Yeah, there's. But <laughs> you'd be like, dude, the, you're going to jail. We're not really doing this. <laughs> as, as a defense attorney, when you get a really bad case, and you know you got a guy who's not only really guilty, but the the proof is all lined up against him, and he did something really bad. It's a mitigation case. It's a plea case, not a trial case, because mm -hmm. there are some cases that the the issue is, oh, let's see what kind of deal we can work out here because they got you red handed. Mm -hmm. And the problem here is, is how do you mitigate a guy who didn't just kidnap people? He did it. He did it to three people in cages mm -hmm. for a decade and raping them the whole time. I mean, yeah. There's, there's no good mitigation argument either. Right. It's a, yeah. And the amount of violence. 
Yeah, oh, I mean, the, it's one of the worst cases ever. Yeah, I mean, from he, a, from a he beat those women. He beat some yeah. of them into miscarriages because he didn't want the children. It's there. There is nothing, you know. Right. And, yeah, like you, as you think about it, I'm like, oh, and he did this thing. Oh, and he. Yeah, it's like a pinata, you know. You burst <laughs> that thing open, you keep finding more shit that he did, and it's all of it's horrible. But here's here's a question: If he had elected to go to trial, because you know most criminals are dumb, Ohio has. Yeah. He had nothing to lose. Yeah. If his plea is life in prison, life plus a thousand, whatever, Mm -hmm. he's got nothing to lose. A lot of those cases end up going to trial because what the the state's not going to agree to a plea bargain that lets him out of prison. There isn't any mitigation that could say this person, we we, we are going to do everything we can to make sure this person can never walk the streets. It's the worst case I've ever seen. Yeah. And... But but he's sitting there facing life in prison. Why is he taking what's a plea do that, that a trial doesn't do? He's at least he's got a theoretical shot then. Why not? And, and you know, I've seen, you know, defendants say, I'd rather take it to trial and so I'm sitting in the county jail before I get sent off to state prison for a couple months longer. You know. It was probably a real relief that it didn't go to trial because all that would do would be put the victims through it. Oh, yeah. And, and wasting taxpayers' money. Would this yeah. have been, with Ohio having the death penalty, would this have been a death penalty case? Could this have been a death penalty case? I, you know, I meant to look curiosity. this up before our podcast, because I believe that the courts have said that you can't put somebody to death without a murder. Okay. I believe that was that's found to be an unconstitutional. But now, hold on. Now I'm, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna get emails on that because I'm not yeah. 100. <laughs> no, that's but one he that was, you know, abused back in the days before good due process and, right. and like. But that. he was convicted of murder because he killed five unborn children. Oh, there's a way to go for it. There's a, and I, I'm not specifically familiar enough with Ohio laws to know if you can, if a uh, Murder on an unborn, unborn. homicide of a, of a fetus is sufficient to go for a death penalty. It very well could be. And maybe that's the incentive to take a plea. I didn't realize he had murder charges. I'm just thinking. Yeah, of the there were two counts. I mean, charge. even though he made Michelle miscarry five children, okay. he was only convicted of yeah. or he was he was only charged with two. Right. The ones they felt they could prove mm-hmm. there that that's that's something that he might have said, hey, I'd rather take a plea than face the death penalty on it. Yeah. That's, that's a- really the only benefit of a death penalty is is to get somebody to plead a life in prison. Because mm-hmm. without a death penalty, why would anybody ever plead a life in prison? Yeah. Plus a thousand and years. Plus a thousand years. Right. Yeah. And I just, I think that, that's why I was curious, because you would think with what they did that that would be enough to be like, off with his head. Oh, I'm sorry. Noelle Elizabeth, take your stinky ass outside. That's disgusting. <laughs> My God. <clears throat> yeah, you think you're cute. You're not. I'm sorry. They they ripped up the floor, so all my stuff's moved. 
Yeah. Okay. Don't look at me like that. Your butt stinks. It was nasty. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm back. <laughs> That's our blooper reels. Me t- yelling at the goon squad because their asses stink. So. Anyhow. <laughs> but yeah. I, on that I, note. I, on that note. But. Yeah. I, I found it. As, as we were taking a, a, a puppy break, I did look it up. It appears that the Supreme Court did say that the death penalty is not appropriate where the victim's life is not taken. But when you have when you have a, the homicide of an unborn child, that there there's a a life being taken, arguably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there the, that argument is in there. That was with my curiosity, and then my next stupid question. That was a good way. I didn't even think about that. I was thinking kidnapping, no, but I forgot about. Yeah. I say forced mis. I mean forced miscarriage is murder. Yeah. It's it's homicide of yeah. an of an unborn yeah. child. Yeah. What What determines which level of prison people go to? Like you have your your standard prison, then you have like your max and the super max. What goes into deciding where somebody is going to be placed? And <laughs> if you're staying, Ooh, if you're somebody's, yes, two parters. I smoked a lot of weed this weekend. Again, <laughs> fucking days without a pool. I need, I need a notepad, or I didn't bring my pen and paper to write down my. Uh... <laughs> the the side note is that on Tuesday I had to go up to Tampa to replace my work laptop, and Dave's like, "Oh, I can take because you know how we built out from a camper." Dave's like, well, I'm going to take the camper floor out and replace the floor. You're going to be gone six hours. I should be done by the time you come back. Four days later. Uh. Four. I do not do well with disruption. I do not. I do not do well with the chaos that was just the construction and everything moved everywhere and the freaking dirt. So there was a lot of weed, a lot of weed. So the man is still alive. Okay. And I didn't commit any domestic violence or anything. The thought was there, but so now going back to my question, if you are in a state that does not have a supermax prison and you meet the criteria for supermax, are they allowed to ship you to another state? So there's my two part question. Two part question. And they're, Completely separate questions. But those, those are two separate questions. Okay. Yes, no, my my brain. Is, uh... She hears so, Supermax and assumes it's all related. Right. And, and, and I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that aside. When you hear Supermax, that's a term in the federal prison system. And, and different states might call their prisons Supermaxes or something like that. But each state is going to have their own prison system for that state. So going back to the first question, what kind of prison do you go to? Well, it depends on the state. And and I happen to have occasion to look up the Department of Corrections for Wyoming a couple years ago, and their entire state prison system is about the size of the county jail here at Fort Myers. <laughs> Yikes. So there aren't a lot of options there. In a larger state, like in Ohio or, or a Florida, obviously, uh, they are going to have different prisons. In Florida... We they have different levels of confinement, and the prison system makes these decisions. And in Florida, they when somebody's convicted, they take them from the local county jail 
over to DOC. They take them to the intake center and they spend a couple of weeks in the intake center and the prison evaluates. Everybody goes through there to determine what level of confinement, what level of security they're going to need to go. Are they going to need to go into a high risk one? Are they going to need to go into a low risk one? And then there's different programs available and, and those kind of things. So the prison looks at They'll look at the nature of the crime. They'll okay. look at the criminal history. They'll look at the, the specific facts of the crime. It's not just, oh, you've got a, a punishable by life crime. That means you have to go to a supermax. Not necessarily. Okay. It depends on, you know, based on the facts of the crime, are they really that dangerous? Based on their history, are they really that dangerous? I don't know how in-depth they go into the psychology of it, but they've got a, a system for determining what level of security they're going to put somebody into. And and that can change over time. Like, you know, maybe after they're there for a while, they say, you know what, this guy's not really a risk. And it's less expensive to house somebody with less security. Obviously. And so obviously, you know, not everybody's on the, the death row up in Starkey. All right. What was your second question? Oh, can they be transferred? Well, this is, they can. And... But it's, it's not done like uh, through the federal system. The feds can put somebody at a supermax. They can put them anywhere in the country they feel is appropriate. Each state on a state case has to determine, you know, where they're going to put them. And they can apply to have an inter-prison transfer. It's not done very often. I don't even know what the criteria on that on. But we saw it um, the last time I was on when we were talking about Craig Price. Craig but Price. He, in that case, he had requested the transfer. Yeah. And I believe any prisoner can. I believe that's covered by the Interstate Compact, which is an interstate agreement that all the states have signed off on. It's not governed by federal law. It's, it's basically a contract between the states as to when they share probationers, prisoners, and things like that. So it can be done by request. It can be done by the state. There have been instances where for cost effectiveness reasons they'll one state will ship some prisoners to another state to house them over there because it's it's cheaper for you know to put them into another state's high security thing than build their own high security or or something like that so there is some ability for the states to to move prisoners around where it's appropriate i'm not intimately familiar with the justice system in ohio it's a it's a larger state, so I imagine they've got some pretty high security uh, wards, as you mentioned. They have the death penalty, so they're going to have a a death penalty wing at, at one of their high security prisons to really have close supervision of the worst of their worst. And you know, Castro, even without a death sentence, they're going to look at him and go, "Oh man, this guy needs a high security. B, he may not be." even safe to put in general population based on his notoriety and the types of crimes he's committed. Mm. And each prison makes that determination independently. Okay. Something that's uh, people ask, you know, the judge, Oh, can you tell them, tell the prison to put me close or something like that? And all in the state of Florida, all our state judges can say is I have no objection to that. Okay. It's actually a little bit of an issue in the Florida prison system because, I don't know, more than half, a, a very high percentage of the prisoners are in South Florida, or at least Orlando and South. The, the vast majority of the 
prison system comes from from the lower half of the state. But more than half of our prisons are up north because there's cheap land and labor and, and the prison industry has built a lot of prisons up on the panhandle. And a lot of people, there, there's not enough prisons in South Florida and a lot of people from here, from Miami, get shipped up to the panhandle just in terms of logistics. Right. Well, Florida has its own <laughs> source of entertainment, which involves often involves the, the justice system. So Florida man is very real. All right, I, yeah, I was just curious about about that stuff, like who makes those decisions and and like what factors into it. So, don't worry, I'll have more questions as we go along. Just, you know, <laughs> as as I'm trying to go to sleep, my brain's like, "Hey, where are penguin needs?" I'm talking to a lawyer this week. <laughs> Let me ask him. <laughs> hey. What do you do with these guys? <laughs> question. Poor Spencer's well, so like, you don't have to. Right. Well, Spencer doesn't for. really have to worry until mm-hmm. she starts asking in hypotheticals. So, <laughs> a friend of I'm mine kills her husband. And <laughs> I told you it was an accident. Hunting accidents happen. These, you can you can never commit a crime. I know. You yes. now publish your yes. your I don't know. <laughs> your, your musings about killing somebody. This is this is all evidence if you ever do something. Oh, I know, I know. Oh, I, anybody I, can go kill your husband, and you are going to get blamed. Play this I know. I'm like so fucked if something happens to Dave. Like I literally, honestly, honestly, the only time something could happen it would be like I would literally have to be like in another state with witnesses to be like, look, I swear to fucking God, here's my social media. Here's what happened exactly. Like she said she was gonna do. I know. Everybody be like, mm-hmm. you know? yep, yep, that, that's it. This motherfucker better live forever because I'm just so screwed if something happens to him. He can die of natural causes. People be like, mm-hmm. she did that southern thing where she put something in his drink, you know? Like, that's what's going Oh, you just added another one. Like, literally. No matter how he goes down, you will have mused on it at some point. I'm afraid. As your attorney, you stop podcasting because it's going to come back to haunt you. Uh, Anybody who cares, I actually do love this man very, very much. We, we might have to do a, a local story. This this guy in Collier who's on trial right now probably be over by the time this this airs. But his wife went missing, and they arrested him five years later. And he posted all these things on Facebook, joking about, "Oh, they're looking at me because my wife's missing." <laughs> yeah, they are. They charged him. <laughs> oh, it amazes me when people post this shit on Facebook. See, I've no actually no intention of doing it. <laughs> if I talk <laughs> about it, I won't do it. <laughs> it's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Uh, it is. It's very therapeutic. And I do have those moments in time. And I'm quite sure that if should anything actually happen to poor Dave, my neighbors are going to be like, I heard her screaming out in the yard one night. <laughs> <laughs> Like some of the shit I've yelled, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. I can tell you this much: my neighbor Jerry will tell you everything because that motherfucker watches me all day long. So, <laughs> neighbors report. 
frequently hearing gunfire in the backyard. <laughs> there were suspicious social media posts and video posts and audio postings and podcast postings. And it's getting worse because I'm working on becoming a certified uh, CCW instructor. I want to get my certificate to do that. So I can teach people to conceal carry. So I am so fucked at this point in time. <laughs> you're, you're like, you're like, let me fill out their profile. Because I haven't said enough. Let me. Oh, let me. I'll start with the childhood trauma. Let me bring you through my list. <laughs> let me, let me, don't worry. But y'all have the best podcast because you'll be like, we knew this bitch. Okay. <laughs> We told her a long time, stop talking, but she, oh no. In case I haven't given you enough evidence, <laughs> let me give you more. Now here, here's the catch-22. This is funny stuff. This, you know, this, the listeners are going to love this. As your attorney, do not post this. <laughs> this, is, this is good material. <laughs> As I go on to talk about wild pigs and gators by my house, <laughs> Spencer's like, shut the oh, fuck up. <laughs> Jesus <stop> Christ. Talking. <laughs> you, you, you thought there wasn't a, <laughs> a defendant worse than Ariel Castro. <laughs> well, they killed it three different ways. Amazingly, she admitted that she planned to do all three ways. <laughs> I'm just saying accidents oh happen. Well, what is your defense in this case? Oh, man, I don't know. Defense? I told her to stop talking. <laughs> just make sure my none of my animals no, but, go to a shelter. That's the only thing I said. When my bar complaint comes up, I put it on the record. Whatever you edit, make sure you edit that I said don't, don't say that. <laughs> I'm not your attorney, but <laughs> hypothetically, one shouldn't say the ways they plan to kill their husband. I oh my God! Who was it? somebody asked me if an attorney, if an attorney friend of mine, was ethically allowed to represent a friend of hers? And it wasn't me. Before anybody starts doing this, I know that a friend of mine in quotation marks. No, I'm looking. I'm looking at that, but I'm guy. I'm going. God, I hope it's okay because, like, all of my friends are criminal defense attorneys. So, God help me. See. I have to say that, you know, I know that should I ever snap, which every day becomes more likely of a when than if, Spencer's going to walk in and go, I know you fucking did it. Like, let's talk about what your best weekend deal is. There's no, I don't want to hear your defense. Nope. Let's, let's talk about our deal. We're plea deal on this bitch. I'm not getting you in front of a jury. Not happening. <laughs> There's no fucking way. Oh my god. He's gonna bring up my TikToks and be like, really? Really? <laughs> you put it on fucking TikTok in a public forum, you talk about killing your husband. Okay. Are there any other social medias I should know about? <laughs> I might need to get back to you on that. <laughs> 
Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. And on that note, before, you know, Denise gets arrested and really does need an attorney, <laughs> I think we should Glad probably we call it a night today. What I'm saying. <laughs> I see me on the next, I don't know, iteration of some Tiger King like documentary on Netflix. <laughs> Is there tigers? It's all freaking dogs. <laughs> well, sorry, right. it's okay. Tampa's only a three-hour ride. There's no confidentiality on a podcast. I'm aware of that. They can, they, they can subpoena me for this. <laughs> it works for my insanity defense. You can be like, listen. Right. I don't know about the psychology, but that bitch ain't right in the head. <laughs> Yeah, she got issues. <laughs> I have subscriptions. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're way past issues at this point in oh, time. Boy. See? All right. I think I'm going to call that an end before Denise keeps opening her mouth. And <laughs> I only had one gummy today, so, you know, you guys should really be <laughs> impressed. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, we will see you next time. And we're going to start trending. Denise didn't do it. Hashtag Denise didn't do it. (laughs) That's it. All right. All right, guys. Have a good rest of your day. Always a pleasure.